0: Good morning. Our scripture focus is found in 1 Samuel, chapters 21, verses 10 through 15. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. But Achish's servants said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed thousands, but David has tens of thousands? David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Akish of Gath, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the city gate and letting saliva run down his beard. "'Look, you can see the man is crazy,' Akish said to his servants. "'Why did you bring him to me? "'Do I have such a shortage of crazy people "'that you brought this one to act crazy around me?' Is this one going to come into my house? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning, Hellas Church. It's great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Andrew, and I serve as one of the pastors here and have the privilege of leading us through our study of the scriptures today. So if you have your Bibles... Let me encourage you to grab those and turn them open to 1 Samuel chapter 21, to that passage, our uh, rather obscure and perhaps uh, strange passage that our friend Sue read for us a moment ago. But 1 Samuel chapter 21, you find your way there, and I will voice another prayer over our time together, and we will dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace and the goodness that you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you for life. We thank you for hope. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for all that Christ brings to us and we praise you this morning for that is in a moment where he's surrounded by his enemies he's hiding in this Philistine city and and at some point he declares when i am afraid i will trust in you in god whose word i praise in god i trust i will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me now at first, David thought mere mortals could do a lot to him. After all, Saul, the king of Israel at the time, at least king in name only, he, he was trying to slaughter David. He wanted to take David out. And so he had that moment in last week's passage where David is fleeing Saul and he goes to take refuge and to find resources in, uh, among the priests in a place called Nob. But as he's taking refuge there and he's being supplied some resources that he needed, he then decides, I can't stay here much longer because Saul's reach is real. And Saul's reach is real strong. And so David decides to get up and to move into, much to everyone's surprise, he moves into Philistine territory and he begins to hide among his enemies, a guy by the name of King Achish. King Achish and the Philistines, much like King Saul, they too wanted to put David to death. After all, David was the one who slaughtered their hero, Goliath. He was the one who took Goliath out. And so David in this moment has lots to fear. He has lots to be afraid of. Both the rulers of Israel, King Saul, and the rulers of the Philistines want to take him out. He isn't safe at home, and he isn't safe abroad. There's really nowhere for him to go. Now what's interesting about this is that David earlier was anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. He was anointed by God through the prophet Samuel, but his anointing did not prevent him from suffering or from troubles or from being afflicted. And what we find as we kind of journey through David's story here in 1 Samuel is that his path to the throne the very purpose for which he was anointed in the first place, his path to the throne would prove to be a rough and rugged one. And the last final third of First Samuel is devoted to reporting David's troubles, David's afflictions, David's trials. His anointing did not deliver him from those difficult dynamics. And it may not be coincidental, but when you step into the Gospels and you read the story of the son of David or the true and better David, we call him Jesus. When you read his story and you're moving through the Gospels, it may not be coincidental that the final third of every Gospel slows way down and zeroes in on the last week of Jesus' life. And what you find is that God's anointed king, Jesus the Christ, his path to the throne would also prove to be a rough and rugged one. You see, to be anointed, to have God's presence in your life, and to know God's promises to be for you through thick and thin, to be anointed does not mean you and I will be spared from afflictions. But what it does mean, those who are aware of the presence of God, the promises of God, who are living by faith in Jesus, what it does mean is that those afflictions, though we may not be spared from them, they will, in the end, actually prove to serve us. And the Lord will flip the script on them in dynamic, powerful ways. You see, crosses precede and lead to crowns in the kingdom of God. This is the story of David. This is the story of Jesus. And what we will find in the church is that there's a sense in which that is our story as well. And so David's story illustrates this dynamic. And as it does, it anticipates the story of Jesus because every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. Every story in the Bible leads us to him, this one included, believe it or not. But I want you to think for a moment about David's afflictions. Now, we know that David fled from Saul's presence, that he was trying to get away from a guy committed to kill him. And as Pastor Jeff pointed out a few weeks ago, the reason Saul wanted to kill David is because he was envious. And envy can always drive people mad. At one point, Saul even turns on his own son and he hurls a a spear in his direction and he was jealous of David. He wanted to take David out. He was envious of David's influence and his popularity. David had gone viral, so to speak. Everyone knew his name. Everyone was speaking about David. Songs of David even reached the Philistines. So you have this moment where Achish's servant said to him, Is this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed thousands, but David his ten thousands. David was a pop." cultural phenomenon. And Saul's ego couldn't handle it. He was envious. He was jealous. He wanted to take him out. Now of all the sins that exist in the world, and there's a lot, of all the sins, envy is the only one that brings no pleasure at all. There's at least a a fleeting sense of pleasure behind different sins that we may engage. There's a reason why we sin, and it's not because sin is, at first, not enjoyable, or not pleasurable, or not desirable. That's true of every sin in the world except envy. Envy's the one sin where there's no hint of pleasure in it at all. Envy is like a kamikaze pilot just flying into a warship, taking out the person who is envious and the person who is envied. This is what's going on with Saul and David. Saul is envious of David, and he's trying to take him out. And in the process, Saul's going to take his own life out as well. And so David's fleeing Saul because Saul wants to kill him. But then again, he goes to a place no one expected. He tries to hide among the Philistines. Now, whereas Saul, wanted it was envious of David, you get to Gath, and you find that King Achish and the Philistines, they were outraged by David. They were outraged by David because David's the one who exposed the futility of their idolatry. He was the one who exposed the fact that they put their faith in Goliath to defeat Israel on their behalf. But then if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, you know David stepped out onto the scene, and and he had put his faith in the name of the Lord his God. And the Lord his God gave him victory over the giant, exposing the futility of the Philistines' idolatry, that the gods they were trusting in to deliver them that day, that this mammoth of a man, Goliath, this warrior who would fight on their behalf, he wasn't strong enough. He wasn't good enough. Now, both those who were envious of David and those who were outraged by David wanted to kill him. They want to take him out. And we're told in today's passage that David took these factors into his heart and And we're told that he became very afraid of King Achish. He became very afraid. Now the reason why that's important is because this is the only time in all of 1 Samuel, David is described as being afraid. Now there's a moment in 2 Samuel where we're told that David feared the Lord, but the fear we're talking about in this passage isn't that kind of fear. David is afraid of his enemies. He's afraid of the ones who are trying to take him out and He doesn't want to die at their hands. Now, you hold that in your mind and you think back to Psalm 56 and you will hear David echoing this dynamic. Listen to what he says. He expresses his fear in that psalm. In Psalm 56, he prays, Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day, for many arrogantly fight against me. They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Now, most of us will live our entire lives not knowing what it is like to be hated by someone so much that they want to take your life. In fact, the odds of being murdered are very, very slim. It's like one in 19,000 that that would actually happen to someone. But death... Death, the odds of dying are about absolute. And death is something that many people fear. There are some who try to act like they're not afraid to die, but if they are claiming to not fear death, they're probably a bit delusioned and aren't thinking deeply about what death is. You see, death is not good. Death is not natural. Death is described in the New Testament as an enemy that death is an enemy that we must all face. And when that day comes, the question is, will faith hold steady in our hearts? Will we be able to say with David, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Though death is real, I'm going to focus on what's really real, and there is a God who is bigger and badder than death itself. And so David would write in Psalm 56 a second time, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere humans do to me? And see, faith is a deliberate act of a defiant will. It's a deliberate act of a defiant will. It chooses to trust the Lord when confronted with the feeling of fear, even fear of death. And so David is dealing with these fears, these real emotions, these real feelings. He's dealing with those in Gath, and yet he still says, in God I trust. Now Christian, there's a a very important lesson you and I need to learn. We must learn to discern the difference between feelings and faith. Now this is a hard lesson to learn. It's particularly hard in our society, in our culture, that asserts feelings are authoritative. That feelings must always be validated. And so you have conversations with people, or you watch TV shows, and this is shown where someone steps up and they say things, well, I must speak my truth. And usually that phrase, I must speak my truth, it's just code. It's just code designed to to prep the person they're talking to that a report about how they feel about something is what's about to be shared. That I must feel, share my truth or I must speak my truth is really I must share how I feel about a given situation or how I feel about a given circumstance or situation. Now feelings are fickle. And feelings are unreliable indicators of what's really real in the world. Now don't mishear me. The threat on David's life was real. The fear he felt was real. But the threat and his feelings, that wasn't really real. That wasn't the deep stuff. That wasn't what he should be focusing on, which is why he turns his attention to the Lord, writing Psalm 56. You see, what's really real isn't what mere humans could have done to him. What's really real wasn't the threat of death that was looming over his life. What was really real was, for David was the God who promised to be for him, was the God who was with him, the God who was capable of delivering him even as he took refuge in the city of Gath. There's a moment in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about what's real and what's really real. And he makes this statement in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body. Now, that, that's real. That can happen. Don't fear those who can kill the body. That is, those, those real things, but are not able to kill the soul because that's not really real. That's not the deep stuff. That's not the eternal stuff. That's not the truest stuff. And then he goes on. He says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, he says this in the context of the gospel where he is assuring everybody he's listening to that the same God who can destroy is the same God who can deliver. It's the same God who can rescue those who turn to him and trust in him and look to him. That the God who is really real is really real over judgment and he is really real over deliverance and salvation. This is what David believed. This is what David believed. So he would turn his attention to the Lord. And although the threats on his life was real, his God was really real. And in a deliberate act of a defiant faith, he he expressed trust in the Lord. And as you continue to read David's story, you discover that God did deliver David from the hands of his enemies, that God, that David's life was spared that day. What's interesting about this story is that the Lord used a bizarre means to do so. Because we're told that David, when he was spotted by Achish's servants, and everybody started to say, hey, that's the king of Israel. That's the one who slaughtered Goliath. We need to take that dude out. David started to pretend as though he was insane. He acted like a madman. He grabbed some spray paint and began to tag the doors of the city gate with nonsense graffiti. He began to allow saliva to run down his face, caking his beard. He went through rather extreme measures in that moment to turn people away. Many years ago, I met a guy named Mark, not our Mark, a different Mark, but I met Mark while playing basketball in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. After a series of events, he... Mark told me his story and he said, well, there was, there was a stretch of life where I didn't have a house and I was living on the streets. And so what I did as a young adult in order to survive is I started to panhandle. I began to ask people on the streets for money. Now, Mark is perfectly sane and he is incredibly sharp, but he did admit to me that while he was panhandling, he would pretend to be crazy. And so when people would walk by him, he would start meowing like a cat. And he would told me that he would also allow drool to kind of fall out of his mouth and cake his beard because Mark found that people either were more sympathetic to him when he acted crazy and they would give him a lot more money or that they would give him money quickly so that he would go away, right? And they, they just wanted him to get away. And so he would discontinue that act. Well, David does a very similar thing here. He acts like a madman in the hopes that everyone will walk past him, that everyone will dismiss him, that they will do away with him, and it actually works. So much so that King Achish asks a rhetorical question, do I have such a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is this going to come into my house? And the answer was certainly not. And so David they presumed to say, was turned away, and God delivered David from the presence of his enemies. Now, notice, the Lord's name isn't mentioned one time in this story. The Lord is not credited by the narrator of 1 Samuel with delivering David. The emphasis, rather, is on David's cunning and quick-thinking tactics, his street smarts. But we know David was a man of faith, and faith always cues us into what's really real behind a given moment, and David knew that the Lord was working in and through his life to deliver him. This is why in Psalm 34, he would praise God for it, and he would credit God for working through his strange means to deliver him. Psalm 34, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And all who take refuge in him will not be punished. Now, David's strategy to escape his enemies was real. It was real shrewd, it was real creative, and it proved to be real effective. But God's deliverance, and God at work in the deep stuff in that moment, behind the scenes, that's what was really real. As the Lord worked through David's perceived insanity to deliver him from the Philistines. You see, the life of faith is not necessary, it's not a thoughtless life, it's not a reckless life. The life of faith is not devoid of planning, it's not devoid of strategizing, it is not devoid of being creative and taking action and giving moments to see certain desired outcomes. But the life of faith, recognizes that God is always at work in and through the lives of his anointed. And at the end of the day, faith is what helps us see the hand of God doing things that other people may not see. Faith cues us into what's really real in a given situation, a given moment, so that our praise and our gratitude goes to the right person. Our praise and our gratitude, glory is given to the right one who makes all things possible. Now, many of you know that our church recently purchased a new building in the Wallingford neighborhood of Seattle in service of the original expression of our church, planting efforts here in the city. And Now, when we were taking steps to purchase this building, a lot of work went into that transaction, a lot of planning, a lot of strategizing. People leaned in and leveraged their gifts, their talents, their skills. People gave money that they worked hard for during the week to make this acquisition happen. All of that is real, and we are thankful for it. We acknowledge it. But at the end of the day, faith helps us see what's really real. Faith helps us understand that the Lord was at work in and through the lives of his people. He was working in and through what was real to bring about what was really real. That is his provision for our church. Otherwise, we would not step into the future with much confidence if we didn't trust that the Lord was working through the provisions of his people. But because faith tunes us into that reality, we move into the future with an eager expectation, an eager excitement about how the Lord is going to use that tool To help people in our city discover the difference Jesus makes in all of life. As we continue to serve our neighbors and to seek to be a blessing to our city by helping people discover the difference Jesus makes in every area of our lives. And he makes a big difference. Jesus makes a big difference in everything, including the hard things. Including the afflictions that you and I will experience You see, all the afflictions David experienced in his life, they all pale in comparison to the affliction Jesus would endure at the end of his life. As David was afflicted en route to his throne, Jesus would be afflicted in a much more egregious way en route to his. Just like David, Jesus was opposed by two sets of rulers. He was opposed by those who were envious of him the rulers of Israel, and he was opposed by those that he exposed, the rulers and the leaders of Rome. Think about the envy of Israel's rulers. We're told that that they were jealous of Jesus's rising influence and his rising popularity with the masses, and this angered them, this unsettled them, and they became jealous And their jealousy drove them mad, so they refused to see what was really real when they looked in Jesus' direction. They did not see the anointed one, the Messiah. They saw this man from Nazareth who needed to be discarded. And they get to a point where they make this statement, if we let him, referring to Jesus, go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They did not want that to happen. But in the end, the rulers of Rome also wanted to do away with Jesus because he exposed them. See, Jesus taught about an eternal kingdom that would one day eclipse the power of Rome, the influence of Rome, the kingdom of Rome. Jesus referenced an authority that transcended not only Pilate's authority in his day, but the authority of the Roman emperor himself. And so in a conversation with Pilate, Pilate would say, don't you know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus responded, you would have no authority over me at all if it hadn't been given you from above. During all that was real taking place around him, Jesus appealed to what was really real. And he exercised faith while standing before Pilate. And soon after that, what happened? Well, Jesus was treated like a madman, wasn't he? He was mocked and ridiculed. He was spit upon so that other people's saliva began to drip through his beard. His flesh was ripped open. His hands and feet were nailed to the cross. Jesus died the cursed death of a crazy person. The anointed one was not spared from those afflictions. But what we find in the story of Jesus is that he would be served by those afflictions. Because three days later, after dying on the cross, he would rise from the grave in a glorified body, defeating sin, defeating Satan, defeating death, paving the way for sinners and sufferers like you and me to enter the eternal kingdom of God paving the way for you and I to live our lives, not in light of what's real in life, but to live our lives in light of what's really real. And so Jesus opens that reality for us. The anointing of God's presence in David's life, the anointing in Jesus' life, that that same anointing would now become available to you and to I as we put our faith in Jesus and God's presence is given to us, his promises are fulfilled for us, and we live in light of these realities. And when we live in light of these realities, we don't live under the delusion of thinking that we will be spared from afflictions in this life, no, no. We live in light of the fact that every affliction we endure, every affliction we suffer, it will serve us in the end. It will serve us in the end. David learned this lesson. David believed this to be true as he walked his rough and rugged road to the cross. Listen to what he says again in Psalm 56. Praying to the Lord, he stated, You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Another way of translating that is miseries. Then he says, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What he's saying is that all the tears I've wept along the road to the throne, no tear has fallen to the ground to be wasted. He's saying the Lord is capturing them and he's putting them in a bottle. He has them recorded in his book so that one day all of his afflictions, the flip Will be, the script on those afflictions will be flipped so that it will serve David in glory, just like Jesus' afflictions would serve him in glory. And you and I who live by faith in Jesus, we rest assured that our afflictions will serve us in glory too. Hear these words. The apostle Paul, a man who was afflicted much in his life, but he lived in light of what was really real. Listen to what he says. Therefore, we do not give up. We don't stop moving forward, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person, that which is really real, is being renewed day by day. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what's seen. We don't focus on what is real. No, we focus on what is unseen. We focus on what is really real. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that's eternal. So we live the life of faith, dialing into what's really real, walking by faith in the reality of who God is and what God has done for us in sending Jesus to live and to die and to rise again. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and the goodness that you show us in Christ. We thank you, God, for opening our eyes and giving us the gift of faith so that we might see what is really real, and I pray that you would help us to trust you in the midst of all that is real in our lives. Help us to lean into you, to trust you, to have our perspective rewired in every moment, God. And whatever afflictions we encounter, whatever afflictions we endure, we trust, we trust that by your grace and for your glory, they will serve us in the end. And we look forward to seeing that incomparable eternal weight of glory manifesting itself in our lives in heaven for all of eternity. God, we love you and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.